With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Bless You Boys Podcast 95 with Al Beaton, Kurt Manchin, and Hookslide, recorded Friday, December 6th, 2013. Hookslide's Enemies List. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Back to the Bless You Boys podcast, where the editorial staff of Bless You Boys kicks around the past week of Detroit Tigers baseball. In this case, about two weeks since we took the holiday week off. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, or belated Happy Thanksgiving. Let's get the introductions out of the way. Of course, I'm Al Beaton, your host. You know me around the site is Big Al at BlessYouBoys.com. I'm co-managing editor. We have the usual gang this week. First off, uh, he's been often missing as of late because he has, like, a life, and that would be our friend Hookslide. How you doing, Hookslide? I'm doing just great. It's great to be back. Uh, it feels like it's been a very, very long time, but as you said, it was a holiday week, and then I know the week before that I had some other obligations. So it, just, it feels like it's been a long time, but uh, how are you guys doing? Well, we've been busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, too, too much going. Well, we shouldn't say too much going on because it means page views for the site, but, yeah, we've been busy to say the very least. And, of course, uh, always busy as a beaver is uh, – our other host, and that would be Kurt Menching of BlessYouBoys.com. He's co-managing editor. He's also a big wig at SB Nation. He's also a columnist for the Detroit News, and he is, I think, king of the Upper Peninsula. Kurt, how's things? I, I, I don't know if we, we have a, a royalty up here, but I would be it. Uh, I'll nominate you. <laughs> well, know, I'm, not, a, I'm, a tro- I'm a troll, you know that. I don't count those. So. Well, and if you're nominated, that's not really the same. You just have to kind of proclaim yourself. I think. Oh, done deal. King of the UP, Kurt mentioned. Okay. <laughs> All right, with that, a little bit about the podcast where we get lots to talk about when it comes to trades and free agency and Doug Fister and Steve Lombardozzi. All right, uh, if you want to contact us, please email us. At the usual places, uh, bybpodcast at gmail.com, bybtigers at gmail.com. That's the catch-all for everything Bless You Boys related. We're also on the Twitter, at Bless You Boys, and we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash byb.tigers. Please, we're, uh, we want to hear what you have to say. All right, with that, uh, well, there was a big trade and a big free agency signing, and the Detroit fan base is all, I'm not sure, they're not very happy right now. Let's put it that way. Our friend uh, Rob, uh, I think he actually took a torch to the Internet and left uh, nothing but scorched earth in his wake after a big trade went down. 
and that would be Doug Fisher was traded to the Washington Nationals for, well, it's either, there's two points of view on this trade. He was either traded for spare parts and a prospect or spare parts and the Tigers' next member of the rotation probably in 2015. So essentially the Tigers traded, if you go by pretty much any stats, Doug Fisher is a top 20 to 25 starting pitcher in the big leagues. He was traded for the Italian Don Kelly and backup infielder Steve Lombardozzi. He fills the grittiness part of this trade. Left-handed reliever Ian Kroll, a very young pitcher, I believe he's 22. He fills the I'm not Phil Coke part of the trade. And the, this really looks like the, the piece that Dave Dombrowski wanted. Minor league left-handed pitcher Robbie Ray, a starting pitcher. He's also 22 years old. All right, guys, taken in a vacuum, is this a good trade or bad trade, uh, Hookslide? It's a horrible trade uh, if it's taken in a vacuum. I, I think just – and I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone more or less agrees on that. When you look at it just at the surface level and say we'd, we'd lost Doug Fister, which I think everyone knew was a possibility and that was okay, but in return for that, you know, when you when you paint it in terms of we got, well, you know, a, a fair to middling reliever, a – utility player and a, you know, a lottery ticket, then yeah, that looks like a terrible, terrible trade in a vacuum. Kurt, do you agree with that? Uh, essentially, what uh, Hookslide said is true, yeah. yeah. Uh, what What is it I always say, you know, I'm not going to be inconsistent here. What What do we always say? We, we say that the team that gets the actual player usually wins the trade. Exactly. And that you know that that that's what's going on here. They got Doug Fister you, you by 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 FanGraphs War, and I know we 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 aren't the biggest War fans, and other people may or may not like it. But by by one measurement, which is FanGraphs War, Doug Fister uh, over over the past three years has been a consistent uh, top ten you know style pitcher. He, he's very, he's been very good, and his time in Detroit was just excellent. And you know I wrote the Detroit News column a couple of weeks ago saying. You, you trade Fister, not uh, not Scherzer, because Fister has more value. And when I wrote that, I did not picture the Tigers receiving what they received uh, in mm-hmm. return. I, I pictured them getting a, a much better package than, than the package that came came back. So, in, in that vacuum, I have to agree this is not a trade that I I liked. I know you uh, wrote about this on Bless You Boys, Kurt, and you looked at you know the bigger picture, you know. Uh, looking at it in a larger context as part, as this trade being a piece of a much larger puzzle in regard to the 2014 Tigers, does the trade start to make more sense to you? It makes some sense. It, it's the thing where I, I feel if you go out there and you overcommit against this trade, you're liable to look really, really stupid in a year or two. Of course, maybe nobody cares in a year or two, but I, I think if you if you're – you rabble, 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 and you burn things with pitchforks. This trade could make you look like a real freaking idiot because Dave Dombrowski actually knows what he's doing. And people seem to forget that sometimes. And even I, you know, my mm-hmm. first reaction was, oh, I hate this freaking trade. But I, I, I tried to sit down a day later, you know, it was almost, you know, like 20 hours later or whatever. I tried to sit down and I tried to think it through from Dombrowski's point of view. Why does this work? He doesn't just do this. He's not an idiot. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get ripped off. He, he's he's very good at his job, and he's got a successful track record. This makes sense to him. 
So why? Mm-hmm. What, what? I, I so I said, well, how do I get into this trade? How do I see where, where this makes sense? And, and if I can figure out why this makes sense, what might that tell us? That's and that's that's the analysis I love to do. I hate this uh, skin deep crap that people do. Not to get off on a tangent, but everything falls into like three three storylines. Every signing or every trade falls into three storylines of criticism. And I mean, it's lazy and it's awful, and I don't know why people read it. But anyway. I try to I try to be different and I try to find why it might work. And what what I I think we've seen and you have to include the Prince Kinsler trade. This is not mm-hmm. a single trade. You have to look at the big picture. Well, what's the big picture? The Tigers have radically improved their defense. They that Cabrera has moved across the field to first where he's not awful. He's you know a little below average, but he's not awful. Third base he was you know statistically not good. Kinsler's above average at second base. You got Jose Iglesias, way the frick above average at shortstop. Suddenly, if Nick Castellanos is even average, you have a pretty good, good infield. Uh, that, that's, that's nice. But beyond that, I, I'm thinking, look at what's being paid out to, to free agent pitchers right now. So, you know, we, we've seen today free agents are making a fortune. Well, the Tigers can't keep everyone. That's the picture that people forget. So, yeah, uh, and I and I'm off scatterbrained, but mm-hmm. the, the Tigers can't keep everyone. And in order to keep the window open for more than a year, because people might want to go, well, let's keep everyone for 2014 and see what happens. Great. So what happens in 2015? What happens in 2016? What happens in 2017? Dave Dombrowski is going. I think I found the starting pitcher who I believe is going to step into my rotation, be above average and be cheap. So suddenly you got three or four good pitchers in your rotation and you're not paying a hundred million. You can't pay a hundred million for a rotation. It's just not possible. So Dave Dombrowski is trying to push the window beyond 2014 by making this move. That's what I came up with. But that's exactly why it sucks. Don't you think? I mean, to the point of view for, for most fans, I think looking at it and saying, yeah, this might turn out to be, might, might turn out to be a good trade two, three years down the line, but we're looking at next year in the World Series window and let's win now. I mean, wouldn't you agree that's exactly why this trade hurts so much? Well, maybe. I mean, I think one thing we got, we got, we got to realize that the Tigers have the same top three in the rotation, and when you get to the playoffs, that's what you're going to look at. You're going to look at your Verlander, your Annabelle Sanchez, and your Max Scherzer, and you're going to be glad you got those three. Mister didn't play that big of a role in the playoffs in the first place. Sure, he's going to help you get there, but does anyone believe, you know, removing Doug Fister and, and adding Drew Smiley is going to keep the Tigers out of the playoffs? I don't believe that for a second. I, you know, are they going to win 95, 100 games? I Probably not. You know, they didn't do that, but I think this is still the best team in the division. Uh, I, I think it's still a team when you get to the playoffs, you got the pieces you want, you, you got what you need. It's always a crapshoot in the playoffs, no matter what. It's always a crapshoot in the playoffs. But they got they got a strong top three in the rotation for the playoffs. I, I think their chances, maybe they're not the exact same. Maybe they're a little worse. I'm happy to concede they're probably a little worse. But I don't think they're greatly worse. I think that this team can still go all the way next year uh, making this trade while extending that window into the future. Uh, everybody's upset, and I think they're not upset about losing Fister is so much. It's just that return just seems baffling to me because I've been quoted on numerous podcasts, you know, of my own, and I've written on the site numerous times that, you know, as Kurt said, the team that gets the proven major league player 95% of the time wins the trade. So 
unfortunately, we have to put our complete trust in Dave Dombrowski that Robbie Ray is the real thing because he's the make or break piece of this puzzle. Hook slide. Obviously, this trade is all about Robbie Ray. This guy's got to become a, a solid middle of the order, uh, middle of the rotation guy for this trade to. I can't say work because obviously there's other things that work here about the salary more than anything else, and that Fister was going to get very expensive in the next year or two. But we see over and over that the Tigers have fleeced other teams when it comes to giving up prospects, top prospects. You know, looking at such as. Um, uh, you know, we just had to bring up uh, the Miller-Maben deal for Cabrera. And we've seen the Tigers, for the most part, do this over and over. Hell, they fleeced the Mariners to get Fister. So I guess, looks like that's my fear is that prospects are involved. I'm afraid the Tigers got fleeced. It's entirely possible. I just, you know, I've always talked about how I don't like to practice results-oriented thinking mm-hmm. and, and the idea of waiting until 2015 or 2016 or whatever it is to finally see what Robbie Ray can do and then say, hey, it was a good trade. I think that's the wrong approach. I think you got to look at it now and say, you know, was it a good idea regardless of how it turns out? Yeah. And I think the idea of trading a known commodity like Doug Fister for a lottery ticket, essentially, uh, is is on this. It, it's, it's a bad idea, period, to, to put, you know, to take that big of a risk. Now, maybe Robbie Ray turns out to be, you know, decent enough. I just don't see him uh, ever developing into – uh, you know, I guess the, the dominant kind of pitcher that would, uh, you know, match Fister or even outstrip Fister in a way that we would say, mm-hmm. okay, wow, Dombrowski was a genius on this. I mean, maybe at the end of the day we're we're saying it worked out okay, but I still think we're going to end up saying hey, it worked out, but, man, that was a risky move and not, you know, not a good thing to do. Kurt, I guess my fear in this trade is that both lefties in this deal seem to be the type that Dave Dombrowski just falls in love with, and that's – Left-handers who throw hard. Maybe Dave Dombrowski fell a little too much in love with Robbie Ray. That's actually the part that gives me confidence. In really? The that, look at this guy. He knows how to get starting pitchers. I mean, the bullpen, I think we can agree, hasn't always worked out. This is the guy who knows how to build a rotation. Dombrowski's mm-hmm. done it again and again and again. And he's got his type of player. And this Robbie Ray is exactly his type of player. He, you know, he throws in the upper 90s. He strikes out more than a batter of an, an inning. He, he lives on his fastball. He's developing his secondary pitches. Uh, you know, it's only one game, obviously. But like I said, you know, he, he just completely destroyed the Erie Seawolves when you pitched against them. But, you know, like 11 strikeouts and a shutout. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a guy who is a Dave Dombrowski pitcher. And if I'm going to believe one thing, it's Dave Dombrowski trading for a pitcher. So this that's that's the part that makes me confident. I think Dave Dombrowski is a guy. I think prospect watchers are mad because they think he wasn't the top guy. Right. Uh, prospect watchers, look, they're, they're writing for blogs. And I know we are too. And so it's a criticism that might, you know, might scratch in, in a bad way. But look, this is a, a general manager at the top of his game who's got a team that keeps going deep and he's finding talent. He's trading his own talent. Ca- you find players that Dombrowski traded that, that succeeded. He he is a guy with a team that knows how to analyze, uh, you know, minor leaguers and and figure out is this guy going to be a success or not. No, okay, well I'm going to trade him. The, so I I feel like he got exactly what he wanted. He might have looked at other pitchers in the Nationals organization and not been as happy or. Or, he, you know, when he says he had a list and theatrically look at my list, blah, 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 during his presser. But I, I think he got who he wanted. And 
and no matter what we think he should have wanted, he got what he wanted, and that's what makes me have some confidence. And of course, you know, look, I I, I agree with Hoopslide and you, and, and I, this isn't my favorite trade in the world. I'm not I'm not happy about it. But if I'm going to try and find something positive about it, it's that I think Dombrowski got what he wanted. That leads to a good segue into um, uh, Dave Dombrowski in that. After the trade, many, as you just did, played the in Dombrowski we trust card because for the most part, the vast majority of his deals have either been a wash or, or very good for the Tigers. There's been very few bad trades, but there have been bad trades. Uh, you know, but the, the general consensus from fans and from the media is uh, Dombrowski comes across as the smartest guy in the room, so he must know something about Fister, Ray, and Kroll that others don't. But obviously, critics of the trade, such as um, Hookslide, they bring up uh, fast failed deals. Obviously, the most popular of that being, well, not popular in that in Detroit, but the most uh, the scenario is obviously uh, Gyros or Jens for Edgar and Taria, which was a huge failure. Hookslide, uh, Kurt just made a case for Dave Dombrowski. So, should Dave Dombrowski uh, get the benefit of the doubt, or for that matter, though, there's people saying he should be immune from criticism, which I don't agree with. Well, those are two different things, right? I mean, yeah. Should he be given the benefit of the doubt is one question, and I would say, yeah, his track record certainly indicates that, you know, you do want to step back and say, uh, I think it's smart at least to ask the question, is there something mm -hmm. here that I'm missing? Because Dave Dombrowski is not an idiot. Yeah. So if he saw something in this, maybe it's best not to leap to the conclusion and say, this is overall going to be a long-term bad thing. Which is why I clarified that you know earlier mm -hmm. and, and said on the surface it's a bad trade. I, I reserve judgment, you know, to see how it how it turns out. Um, immune from criticism? God no, mm -hmm. no, no. He's not the Pope, you know. What? <laughs> he's not. <laughs> he is not. Uh, and and he may have turned out to made a really bad move here. That's that remains to be seen, you know. So, yeah, give him the benefit of the doubt, but let's not pretend like. Everything he touches turns to gold automatically, mm -hmm. you know, every time. Well, Kurt, let me ask you this about Dombrowski. You think he might be he might be on some working orders from Mike Gillis that he needs to well, he he's pretty much reached uh a self imposed team salary cap and now he's making some maneuvers to keep Tigers in that range and obviously some of these trades sure look that way. Well, you know, first off, I'm Lutheran, so my people have been known to criticize the folks. <laughs> so uh but but beyond that I, obviously, I think there is some, you know, some salary cap. I, you know, the, I, the Tigers couldn't go up to 200 million or something. You know, I don't. I, I, I fought against the idea that they had to cut salary because I didn't believe that either. But I don't think they could go crazy with it. So, you know, uh, they're going to fall if they don't do anything big. I think they're supposed to fall around 150 to 160 million now, which is a lot of money under, mm -hmm. un, you know, under under the salary cap or whatever. You know, I mean, the luxury that, that's, tax, that's, yeah, that's yeah, that's it. That's under the luxury tax, but you know, it, it's a lot of money. But I, I, and that that could very well be. You know, they could have walking orders to stay under the luxury tax. What we don't we don't know. But I, you know, uh, the the thing is, is yeah, the, there is a limit, and we don't know what it is. And you know, one one thing Dombrowski kept talking about is he wanted flexibility, and you know, and we'll we'll talk about what he did with some of the money saved. And, and again, why we can't look at this trade all by itself, because it's about team building and, and mm -hmm. not one individual trade. And I guess that's the hardest part for all as fans is that we have to take this all as a complete whole rather than 
look at each thing separately. You know, it's all this is all part of a hopefully a master plan of David Dombrowski to make the Tigers. Well, he's obviously reimagining the Tigers into a little more um, defensive oriented and probably a better base running team. But hopefully, like, let me ask you this. Dave Dabrowski is on record saying we are not cutting salary. We are going to have a high payroll. But don't you think he may be uh, implying that they're going to have the same salary structure because they have a ton of guys with contract kickers who are going to get raises and plus guys who are getting contract extensions? That does not mean he's going to go out and sign Sinshu Chu. Right. It doesn't mean necessarily that they're cutting payroll, just that the, the, the salary demands are moving beyond what their payroll can handle. Mm-hmm. So it might feel like a salary cut. It's not. It's just that I think maybe they're not saying, yeah, we're going to up the salary budget, you know, and keep up with these, you know, rising demands. We're going to stay where we are. And that, you know, ends up looking like a little bit of a, you know, a pullback, a cutback. Um, and, you know, the thing that, that kind of interests me the most about what just happened with with Doug Fister, because that was kind of one of the things that even Kurt and I were kicking around the other night and saying that to me, this kind of felt almost like a, like a Craigslist sale, you know, yeah. like everything must go. We'll get, get rid of him. Sure. We'll take whatever you got. You know, uh, I know we're not going to get as much as we could for him, but we'll take whatever you got. Cause we got to get rid of him and cut the salary. But somebody suggested, I can't remember where I, where I saw this. Um, but somebody had suggested that uh, Dombrowski limited the number of teams that he was shopping Fister to mm-hmm. because he didn't want to put Fister in direct competition with the Tigers. So he didn't say, look at, you know, uh, division rivals or even. Yeah, he wasn't going to trade him within the division and possibly not even in the American League. You got, that's a right. good point. Right. So that that may have been, you know, part of what was what was driving that. So he goes to, you know, he didn't go to Toronto or, or some other, you know, team that, that would have a, a greater impact of, you know, hurting the Tigers later. And, Kurt, it was interesting as uh, the press conference for the Joe Nathan introduction, which we'll get to into in a little bit, that Dombrowski got very feisty when it came when, this, when he was questioned about this trade, specifically about his not doing his due diligence, so to speak, on this trade, which he seemed to be accused of uh, in a quote from uh, Keith Law of ESPN, who has unnamed GMs saying they weren't contacted and we could have beat this deal, so on and so forth. I guess that's something we, we have to keep in mind, Kurt, is that if there's one thing Dave Dombrowski does, he's going to do his due diligence. So if there was a reason why the teams he was limiting uh, trading to Fister to and the players that he was looking at were, were were limited, he must have a good reason. You know, and this this is something I, I also wrote for Bless You Boys, it's possible what everyone says is true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keith Law says, hey, you know, I talked to these GMs and they said he didn't shop them to us. Dave Dombrowski says maybe he maybe he limited it so that he wasn't shopping to you know to, to teams in direct competition. So right. what what if Keith Law just happened to talk to the wrong team? It, it's quite possible both people are 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 giving an an accurate uh, depiction of facts as they know them, while giving us an incomplete picture overall. So that, yeah. that, that's mm-hmm. what I think. Kurt, that he whipped out a list of the 15 pitchers he was going to inquire about. So uh, obviously he was ready to be. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, to yeah. be uh, not crucified, to at least uh, have, be very question, uh, be accused of some of these things in that press conference. Oh yeah, you know maybe he was hoping to get asked the question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I I don't walk around with a list of names in my pocket, so I, I I'm sure Hook Slide does, but he's real different. 
<laughs> well, you're on that list, buddy. So <laughs> I know it. Yeah, the I, enemies <laughs> list, I believe, like Nixon. <laughs> Guys I've tried to fleece recently. <laughs> All right, let's start kind of wrapping up this trade talk with, um, obviously, the Tigers, I think, are – I don't think it's a question that the Tigers are probably worse in the bullpen now because they've moved Drew Smiley into the rotation. And you could also make the argument that the rotation is worse because – I think it's a little much to ask Drew Smiley, or even for that matter, Rick Porcello, to replicate the numbers that Doug Fister did uh, in the regular season and the playoffs. So I know, Kurt, you've always been a huge backer of Smiley, and you've always said he belonged in the rotation. But I think we have to kind of couch our expectations, at least in his first full year in the rotation, don't we? Here's why. Innings. He doesn't. Yeah. He, he doesn't have the track record on his arm, and Fister threw 200. So it's it's unrealistic to expect he's going to he's going to be able to throw that many innings. That's that's the only reason why. I don't think Fister was going to be as good as Fister was. I think Drew Smiley's you know his his indicator statistics indicate that Drew Smiley is every bit as good as Doug Fister and possibly better. But this this year innings are going to be a, an issue. I, I completely admit that. Yeah, which Hookside brings up the bullpen because it really looks like the Tigers have not done much yet to fill those sixth through seventh, eighth inning spots uh, because according to the uh, press conference, once again for the second straight offseason, Dave Dombrowski is putting a huge amount of faith in Bruce Rondon, in this case being his eighth inning guy. Smiley was used quite often in the, in the seventh inning, and now there's a lot of question marks where Drew Smiley was, I guess that's got a lot of people scared right now. I'm terrified. Yeah. And what Kurt just said that, yeah, Smiley might have, you know, the, the wherewithal to perform well as a starter. I think he does. I don't think he's going to have the, the stamina to, to right. fill the innings. And that leads immediately to, well, guess what? You're going to need some good middle late relief before you get to, you know, his holiness, Joe Nathan in the ninth. And, 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 and looking at it in that, uh, sort of in that light, um, the bullpen has not changed that much from what it was this past year, and that's what the issue yeah. was. Mm-hmm. How big of an upgrade, we'll get to this later, I'm sure, but how big of an upgrade it really is Joe Nathan over Joaquin Benoit? I'm not denying there's an upgrade, but, you know, that wasn't the issue. The ninth right. inning was not the problem. It was it was this sort of uh, roulette game that they were playing in the sixth, seventh, and eighth innings and going, okay, so who are we going to bring out? Coke, Albuquerque, you know. It, you had one or two guys that, that were really reliable, um, and I think Rondon was one of those towards the end of the year. Smiley was certainly a serious weapon out of the bullpen because he was a reliable lefty. Who could get out right-handers as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And now we don't have that. And, you know, I guess Coke is coming back. And you hope that this Ian Kroll guy, you know, has, has some good stuff there. But, yikes, that, that middle bullpen is still looking, you know, it's a bit of a horror story. And the question with Kroll is if you look at his numbers last year, they he has loogie splits. He's young. And obviously that's, uh, you know, there's talent for him to be able to maybe get right-handers out on the line. But right now, his splits look a lot like Bill Koch's, so, which is a, a concern right now. So, I, Okay, let's wrap up the trade talk. We've got to touch on Steve Lombardozzi. Oh. Now, the son, well, I'm sorry, Steve <laughs> Lombardozzi Jr., otherwise known as the Italian Don Kelly. Everyone out of Washington in this trade is playing the he's gritty, he's blue-collar, he's a winner-type uh, card. Yeah, Did no one is saying the guy is talented. No <laughs> one. Well, actually, this is his career stats, I should say. 264, 297, 342, and over 700 career at-bats. So, essentially, the Tigers have a David Eckstein, according to people out of Washington. 
Kurt, uh, the, my fear of this is that from all the angst we're hearing out of Washington the, of Lombardorzi leaving, he really seems like this guy could end up being a, a Brandon Inge type who's going to be the dividing line in a war between Detroit's traditional fans and those who look deeper into uh, into advanced metrics because from all accounts, he's a little scrappy white guy who, who tries really hard, and that's the kind of player that traditional fans just go nuts over. Brandon Inge was never as bad as some exactly. people. That's a great point. Exactly. That is, that's when people, when, you know, look, I'm a stats guy and everyone knows it, but when people try and drag Brandon Inge through the dirt, I think it's ridiculous. Like, Truly, this is the thing where you you watch what he did, Brandon Inge. No, he wasn't really great. He wasn't he wasn't really good. But you know, Brandon Inge was not as awful as as, as Rogo or somebody would want you to believe. So uh, you know, if Lombardozzi put up similar uh, ability as Brandon Inge, I would be fine with it. And he wouldn't have been traded either. Well, maybe he would. <laughs> Brandon Edge did get DFA, didn't he? Yeah, but after he was his usefulness had was worn out because there were some years there where he was like a four war player. Uh, all the talk about this guy knowing how to win, of course, like I, I interjected, it's not like the Nationals have done a lot this year. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that matters or not. But look, I mean, obviously when when Lombardi's name was was floated, I did not. Instantly think, oh boy, that's exciting. I thought, who the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah. Or, or I thought, uh, see, he has something to do with that guy who played with the Twins years ago. Obviously, it is. It's the son, Hook Slide. Or isn't this the guy that I owe money to? Hey, yeah. Lombardo, <laughs> yeah, he's he? a knee breaker. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Lomb- I guess I think Lombardozzi, I think, is what kind of set a lot of people off, like uh, like Rob, who who actually, like I said earlier. Uh, that scorched earth, no nothing unturned when it came to his ire over this trade, and I think it's the Lombard Dozy which has kind of got ticked people off because uh, you know there's upside on the on the pitchers. I don't think there's any upside on Steve Lombard Dozy, and that's what's got a lot of people upset, saying that's the best you could have got from the Nationals. Depends on how they use him, I guess. Yeah. If uh, if if Dombrowski is looking at Lombard Dozy as being someone who will. Um you know, kind of split time with Andy Dirks, say, and uh, and Don Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I don't like that. You know, if he's just a, a bench guy to provide some depth, maybe that's okay. Um, I've been looking more at his minor league stats because he's only got, what, two full years, I think, in the majors? Yeah, approximately. So far. Mm-hmm. He had a shortened first year, I think. But, in, you know, in the, in the minor leagues, he hit 298 and had a 780 OPS over 2,000 plate appearances. So they're you know just looking for some silver lining there and saying maybe he's a little better than than he's shown so far maybe there is some room for improvement there, um, but yeah I don't I don't know that's uh, if he's he's the guy who breaks knees and re, you know gets gets money from you then that's that's one thing but <laughs> we didn't we did not need another Don Kelly yeah and that and, that, and that's uh, the thing right there is that as soon as everybody saw this guy and saw his stats immediately and the OPS is almost identical. You know, they're both in the 630s. So that, so regardless of all that, again, we, we're just going to have to trust Dave Dombrowski on this and hope that the Tigers aren't done, which leads us to the big free agent signing of the week. Kind of a big one. Uh, the Tigers have their closer. It's been long known that, well, Dave Dombrowski likes quote-unquote proven closers. Well, he got himself one, inking 39-year-old Joe Nathan, uh, who's very familiar to Tigers fans, thanks to his, uh, I believe, seven seasons with the Twins, 
to a two-year, $19 million contract. Third year is a club option that's worth $10 million, but only has a $1 million buyout. Essentially, Nathan's guaranteed $20 million over two years. I think a lot of us thought Nathan was going to sign for a lot more money. I thought he was going to get at least a, a Jonathan Papelbon money. At least I thought that's the kind of what he was looking for, $14, $15 million a year. Uh, Kurt, are you surprised that the Tigers got uh, Nathan at market rate? Better than market rate. When you, when, yeah, I thought you were going to cost 14 or 15. That's what uh, MLB, or, you know, uh, MLB trade rumors projected was, I think, 26 or 28 million over two years. So uh, yeah, that you know, and I know there's always the there's always the boo birds and the saberists and everyone who, who ne- you never pay for a closer. Blah, blah, blah. I mm-hmm. think if you're going to pay for a closer, they just got one hell of a deal. Looks like what's your take on uh, Joe Nathan? Um, he's he's shown very little signs of decline, even at 39 years old. Other than there's been some drop in the velocity on his fastball, but he's still. Very, very effective. Last year he was um, had 43 saves and a 1.39 ERA. So, I guess the concern is age, and so far it, it really hasn't. Um, he's kind of staved off Father Time. I guess that's the fear, though, with this deal is that you can't stave off Father Time forever. No, you can't. But at the same time, this is going to sound almost contradictory. On the one hand, you say, well, he's aging, and there's there's some lack of uh, the word I want. Uh, not stability, but confidence, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, and someone you say you definitely can trust this guy to get the job done. Right. On the other hand, he has exactly that in his career, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and the years that have gone before. And I, I think essentially, even though I'm saying that, you know, I guess by the stats, he, he's not, you know, a huge, huge upgrade over what Benoit was, or even uh, uh, Valverde was, mm-hmm. you know, in years past. But what he does have is the track record. Yeah that those guys, I don't think they necessarily had that. So maybe what the Tigers bought here was just, you know, that, that bit of extra confidence in the ninth inning and saying we've got somebody who is time-tested, proven, you know, the veteran. We know we can get the job done. I'm just not sure that that's what the bullpen needed. It also looks like, Kurt, that from all accounts, the Tigers' first choice was Brian Wilson. Reports that talks recently broke down in the last couple of days, which – sent the Tigers scurrying to swiftly um, sign Joe Nathan instead. It looks like the Tigers did get a better contract because Wilson resigned with the Dodgers, and obviously Wilson uh, is coming off his second Tommy John surgery and only pitched for about two months last year, about six weeks really. Uh, he signed with the Dodgers for a very similar contract, one year at $10 million, but the second year is $10 million, and it's a player option, which is almost assuredly that Wilson will likely take it unless he has an absolutely blowout year and he thinks he can get Papelbon money. I guess the question is, in your eyes, did the Tigers get the right man in Nathan, or would you have rather see them gone with Wilson? Well, you know, it makes it makes for a, a fun podcast when Hook Slide and I are disagreeing on things all the time. But mm-hmm. he he's he said it earlier in the podcast, and he just kind of said it again in in that the the bullpen it wasn't the ninth inning that was the problem it, right. it wasn't even the eighth inning per se it, it was just that there was not much confidence to be found in in that bullpen at all and you know the tigers yes they they shored up the ninth that nathan if you're going to get a if you're going to get a closer i want nathan above you know any of them if you know if the price is going to be the same yes i i want nathan more than than Wilson. Wilson had a few innings. You know, I thought Wilson would get the kind of contract. It's like a speculative contract. Right. We're like, you're going. We think you're going to be good, and we're going to give you incentives, but we're not going to give you guaranteed money for all of it. I thought that would be a wonderful kind of a contract. 
but no, he he got the same money as Nathan, so the Tigers got a better deal because Nathan is the the more reliable, the the better pitcher. So the Tigers got the better deal. But no, they cannot stop here. They have a hell of a lot to 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 do in the bullpen before I'm going to feel comfortable. I, I this bullpen is probably worse than the bullpen was last year, and that was the issue. So I'm I'm worried as hell right now. Yeah, and that way works. Yeah, that leads me to, I was going to ask you, Hookside, uh, Joaquin Benoit, who seems like he would be a perfect fit to slide back into that setup role. But in the um, Nathan press conference, uh, which we'll talk about some of the other topics uh, Dombrowski addressed, uh, he said he does not believe Joaquin Benoit will return because he's looking for closer money and he's looking for a closer job. Looking at the money these closers are getting, I, I think he's probably got a point there, but I would hope that, uh, you know, he, he paid Benoit a lot of money to be a setup man. It wouldn't bother me to see him do it again, even if it's only for a year or two. Uh, what, to see Benoit come back and just play setup guy in the eighth inning? Exactly. I mean, in it, the seventh or eighth inning. It doesn't really make sense for anybody, I don't think. Yeah. It doesn't make sense for the Tigers to pay him, um, you know, I guess, whatever they're going to pay him. They haven't made any offers, but I'm saying, yeah, he's he's probably able to command a higher salary now, having performed the way he did as a closer. Right. He's proven that he can do the job. So he can probably get more uh, to pay him that kind of money and then stick him in the eighth inning when you've got already got somebody like Bruce Rondon, who's, you know, I, I would say just as good as Benoit in, in the setup role. It doesn't make sense for the Tigers to get him there. It doesn't make sense for Benoit to settle for that. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think uh, uh, what would be your strategy for the bullpen? I think I've seen out there is that the Tigers should just start stockpiling guys who are coming off of the injuries, coming off of bad seasons. Because uh, as Kurt and I have always said, relievers are fungible. They're, they could be great one season, awful the next, and then great again. So I guess that's the, the, the issue here, looks like, is that we haven't seen the Tigers do anything to address that. Yeah, that's exactly the point. There have been a lot of changes elsewhere, you know, around the infield, and, you know, defense is better and they can run better now and all this, but there hasn't been that same kind of attention given to the bullpen and saying, well, let's, let's swap out some of these guys that were really hit or miss last year and bring in some new faces that, you know, they might be hit or miss themselves, but, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's the place where you want to take the, the risk, I think. The quote uh, from Dave Dabrowski was, uh, we expect uh, Ron Doan to be our eighth-inning guy, and everything else will fall into place, <laughs> which gets everybody yeah, right. nervous. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, just, we'll leave it to Ron Doan and Nathan every night, right? And that'll just yeah. work out great. <laughs> all right, uh, let's, we'll talk a little bit about the fallout from all of this so far. Start, you know, going with the fielder uh, trade with, of Kinsler, obviously uh, trading Fister and the signing of Nathan. Uh, we, we know for sure now is that Dave Dombrowski has confirmed Miguel Cabrera will move back to first base. Nick Castellanos is now a third baseman. He also, obviously, as you mentioned, is counting on Bruce Rondon to step up big time in the bullpen this year. And he does not anticipate another splashy free agent signing, despite all the swirling Sin Shoo Choo rumors. Other than he plans on doing something with left field in some regard, is the quote. So, from the fallout of all this, Kurt, I think we're all in agreement. The Tigers are a worse team. I guess we all have to remember is that it's still December. Right. I, you know, I, I, I could not disagree with someone who said the Tigers are a worse team. You know, uh, it, it, they are. You know, and, and like I said, I think they traded 
being a better team in 2014 for, for being, you know, a better team in 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. 2017. They're, you know, they're a worse team now, but hopefully that's going to make them a better team later. So I, I think that, that that's true. But like you, like you said, it's winter meetings haven't even begun. Mm-hmm. Who knows what's going to be up their sleeves? I mean, and heck, they, they've they've signed people in January, in late January. I mean, Prince, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, was it the Valverde signing? You know, uh, was in January. They, we we can't think after winter meetings. This is the team. The team could still add players a, a month later. So, yeah, uh, you know, say what you want. Today, today the team is worse. Maybe when they enter spring training, maybe when they enter day one of the regular season, the team is worse. Maybe they're not. That that all remains to be seen. Hookside, do you believe Dave Mbrowski when he says to not anticipate another free agency move? I believe that he believes that. Yeah. I believe that as of this moment, he is probably not actively shopping around. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, as you pointed out, we all know that doesn't mean that, that you know, we're done. Mm-hmm. It does not mean that at all. If the right situation came along or the opportunity presented itself, of course he's going to go for it. But I do take him at his word, you know, in that sense that I think he's he's not actively pursuing anything, and you know, especially in terms of going after someone like uh, Chu, um, I don't see it happening right now. Yeah, know? it looks like the one position the Tigers, well, other than bullpen, is who we've been going around about. The other position which hasn't been addressed is left field. And during the press conference, it wasn't as if Andy Dirks got a ringing endorsement. Uh, Dabrowski said something to the effect that, well, if Dirks plays like he did in 2012, then uh, that's fine. But uh, it doesn't sound like he's anticipating that he's going to. I guess the question is there, Hookslide, left field. Do you think this is a position where the Tigers may try to wait out the market and see what's left over and look for a platoon guy? Or, uh, again, the other option is Sin Chu Chu. Yeah, I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't think they're going to go after Sin Chu 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 Chu. Chu Chu Chu. I believe that high. name. <laughs> I don't think they're going to go after him. I think he is going to get picked up by some other interested party uh, before the Tigers ever get around to, you know, maybe maybe getting him to lower his, you know, his expectations. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're going to actively pursue him. They have Dirks in left. Uh, they have Kelly that can kind of fill that spot, too. They have, uh, you know, Lombardozzi that can probably go out there. Um, so, no, I, I just – what's that? <laughs> I just said, ugh. <laughs> so I don't I don't see that becoming the you know the place where they focus their their attentions and honestly I'm kind of divided right now in saying if I have to pick between one or the other do I want them focusing on left field or the bullpen and I'm not really sure where I fall there yet. Well, Kurt, left field. Dirks has had a good year, but it was only half a season and a bad year. But even though he played very well defensively, his offense was very inconsistent. It looks like it seems like the Tigers have been trying for almost two years now to find a platoon partner or an outright upgrade to left field, yet every spring it's, and, it's been Andy Dirks out there. And I guess uh, I guess that's what the, what the issue is here right now is that I don't know what's out there to put in left other than Andy Dirks at this point. Because I, I, I agree with uh, the hook side. I don't see the Tigers giving $20 million to send you two. No, I, I, I've never believed the, the, the two talk, and I, you know, I, don't, I don't believe it now. So I, I agree. Look at, look at Dirks like this. At least what he can do doesn't take a playoff. You know, mm-hmm. he, he he can play defense. He was a Gold Glove finalist. He, you know, the, the advanced stats like him. I think the eye likes him. That you know, he can play left field. That's good. That gives you something. It, it's something to work with. The Tigers, the Tigers have been an awful team defensively, and 
they're above average now. It, it mm-hmm. is. It's true. They're an above average defensive team right now, and it, it's fine. Yeah, you need them to score more runs, and you you sure want Dirks to to bring a better bat than he did last year. Last year. Yeah, he would have won the Gold Glove if he had hit. <laughs> but, but, well, that's and that's probably true. But yeah. uh, you know, I I told everyone after 2012 that Dirks wasn't that good. I, I'm sure you. I'm sure you you know that. And, yes. And, and I'm going to tell everyone after 2013 that Dirks isn't that bad. Dirks is somewhere in the middle. And I, I, you know, I think it's not, you know, I don't think it's dead in the middle. I, I, and I, I don't think he's going to be closer to 2012. But he's better than he was in 2013. I think he's a perfectly serviceable option out there in left field. And I, I don't feel like they really need to go and upgrade him now. Get a platoon partner? I, I'm certainly in favor of that. But I don't feel like they have to go spend $20 million dollars it's mm-hmm. just not going to be money well spent. I think the, uh, everybody was hoping the perfect scenario would have been Carlos Beltran on a Tory Hunter-esque type deal. A couple years, uh, $13, $14 million. But the free agent market has gotten so well, stupid. Uh, apparently, uh, Beltran, Kurt, has a $48 million three-year deal on the table. Uh, that just leaves me speechless. Yeah, well, there, there's some talk of that. I've also yeah. seen talk that maybe the Royals aren't that crazy after all. But yeah, but he said some team may look. I have a feeling some team will be. And well, this offseason has gone berserk, so it wouldn't yeah. surprise me at all. We do have to address uh, this absolutely apeshit crazy uh, offseason so far. I, did, I didn't realize the podcast was going to go on for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll lump them all together because especially we're recording this on a. Uh, what, Friday, December 6th, and there was a couple of big signings announced today, for example. Uh, Curtis Granderson is going to the Mets for what's looking like now a fairly reasonable four years at $60 million. But uh, there were some nuts deals in the last few days. Earlier today, Robinson Cano signed with the Mariners for an absolutely ridiculous 10 years, $240 million. He's going to be a 41-year-old making uh, $24 million at the end of this deal. Jacob Lee Ellsbury is the other one that's really a real head-scratcher. Uh, he's a Yankee for seven years and $153 million. Uh, Kurt, what's going on? Are, G- are, are Major League Baseball general managers nuts? I- I'm at a loss for some of these deals. Because uh, track records show 80%, 90% of these deals are going to end up as albatrosses. Well, you know, two things are at work. One uh, a fresh infusion of TV money through the national. Yeah, indeed, yeah, they, uh, they better hope it doesn't pop because that bubble that, is there. Well, well, the the money is going to be there too because that's guaranteed. So, yeah. no, you know, the next up, the the local TV deals have been coming back. Like, you know, they talk about Seattle having, what, like, what was it, two billion or something in in a TV deal. So that's a lot of money there. And of course, MLB Advanced Media, which is owned by the teams, has been making a boatload of money, and it's worth a lot of money. So there's a lot of money in the game that needs to be spent. So it's going to be spent, you know, a lot of it is going to be spent on the players. That's the way it's supposed to work. So that's why contracts have gone up. I hold nothing against the players for getting every dime from the owners after, uh, well, the owners um, screwed the players for 80, 90 years. So I have no issues with this. It's the market rate. If the owners are willing to pay it, they, the players would be stupid to turn it down. And, and that goes for people say, well, what about a hometown discount? No, there's no such thing as a salary gap in baseball. That's dumb. You, know, you get what you can from these guys because they have a limited time to make money. You know, If it means you're going to get a stupid contract, well, more power to Robinson Cano. 
Uh, Hookslide, what's your take on this insanity that seems to have grasped Major League Baseball general managers? Because there's been some nuts deals. I mean, Kansas City and the Twins are actually spending money this year. For example, I don't see – it makes no sense for Beltran to go back to Kansas City because I don't see that guy putting them over the top, but they're looking like they're going to spend money. From my perspective, it's not so much the – I guess the, the the size of the salaries, mm. you know, in terms of it's the years. You know, it's the years. Yeah. That is the most surprising thing to me. I mean, yeah, fine. Uh, these guys should make as much money as they can because, like you said, there's a you know a limited amount of time that they can do this. But I, just, just trying to wrap my mind around the fact that the Mariners are going to be stuck with Robinson Cano for ten years. Yeah, I cannot understand why a general manager would would you know. I would I would rather raise the the salary and and shorten the contract if I if I were in yeah. that position I guess yeah and I, the the Seattle uh, deal comes off as uh, something similar to what the Tigers did with uh, with Pudge Rodriguez and Maggie Ordonez you know this is uh, we're going to overpay a guy to make us relevant again but Mariners fans realize that because uh, I, they're thrilled by the signing and I think they're they're, uh, they're going in a hook side of eyes open knowing that probably the last four or five years of this deal. It's, it's really going to kill them. They're just hoping. I guess you could say that for any of these deals. The Ellsbury deal, I think, is even more ridiculous because he's really making his money off of one great year that, you know, the first three or four years, you, you hope that these guys live up to it because they are. there's no way in hell Jacob Lee Ellsbury is going to be a productive player seven years from now. No, it's not just those guys. There have been a couple of them that have kind of left me scratching my head. I don't even know if, if Johnny Peralta was worth yeah, the length of the contract that he got. Yeah, for, fifty-three million dollars over four years. Right, right, and and there was some uh, talk in the news today about uh, Curtis Granderson. Sixty uh, million. Yes, for what four years? Four years at the Mets. Yeah, these seem like kind of again, that's it's too long. Yeah. To be signing these guys, and so I'm kind of looking at, at what the Tigers just did with Prince Fielder. You know, they get a couple of years out of the guy and then have to kind of try desperately to shop him around and get somebody else to take him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think, wow, the, if this if this keeps happening, you know, and the GMs keep doing this, in a couple of years, that's going to be the off season. The off season is going to be all these teams trying to, you know, mm-hmm. offload, offload their Albatross contracts, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> oh, that's going to be ugly in a couple of years. It's going to be interesting it's gonna to be see. Boring. Yeah. It's going to be boring. It's going to be boring at that point. You know, who wants to get the last six years of Cano's contract? You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't uh, all bid at once. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Uh, Kurt, let me ask you this. I think we're all in agreement that the Tigers are not going to go into uh, they're not going to drop money, uh, huge money, in free agency. You know, they're not going to drop another $100, $150 million contract on somebody. Do you think that's because they're going to re-up with Scherzer and Cabrera? I think they're going to re-up with Cabrera because, one, he's really, 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 really awesome. And, and two, if they didn't, the fans would probably burn Comerica Park, though. Yeah. Uh, as far as Scherzer, and I, I, I said this a couple of days ago, I don't I – don't, I don't see any sign that, you know, the, the freed-up money has to go to them, and I, I don't think it's in their best interest either. Uh, Hookslide, what, what's your thoughts on that? Do you think uh, Cabrera I – th- I think we're all in agreement. Cabrera's going to get extended. I guess the question is, do you give Max Scherzer crazy money? Not before not before 2014, no. Yeah. No, because um, you know, it's been pointed out. He had a career year, absolutely. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe that, that sticks. Maybe he's learned, you know. We, we talked about this in the past about how he developed some pitches and got really, really good, you know, from uh, 11 to 12 to what he did this past year. And if that's a trend, then great. That should show in 2014. And then it's time to look at, 
you know, do we want to extend this further? Um, but I would say the same thing about Max Scherzer as I would say about Cabrera. I mean, yeah, I would like to see both of them extended, but not for, you know, these five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten year contracts. Yeah. Not, not even Cabrera. I don't yeah, think and that, getting a, I, But you're right, though. I think that's what's going to happen. That's unfortunate. At least with Cabrera. I'm, I'm sure he's going to get a, he's going to get a, he'll be, what, 32 uh, when his contract then comes to an end. He'll get eight years. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. And he might be the one exception, you know, the one person that turns out you know, to be worth that full extent of time and certainly the money. I'm not arguing the money. Again, it's just that you don't want to be stuck with this thing, you know, when four years into the eight-year contract, the world goes to hell and he falls apart. Uh, did you just submerge your submarine again, Hookslide? What, is what, what are you hearing? <laughs> You're dive, dive. What, what is what is it that that is there echo? What is it? It's a it's a humming noise. Yeah, it sounds like a, a like a leaf blower or something. It is. They got yeah. lawn lawn maintenance guys out I here. They decided to pick. What's a lawn? Yeah, right. Uh, the gentle sounds of the fall. The leaf yeah. blower. All right, then that sounds like a good place to start wrap up the podcast. So let's uh, get into our final thoughts. Hook slide, I'll let you lead off. Anything else on your mind? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, you probably take it on water or something anyway. So. I know. It's, I, mean, I can't talk to anybody, but i got to get out of here. So, no. <laughs> yeah, I can just imagine you as a, as a hunt for Red October, um, no. Sean Connery-type captain there. <laughs> oh, the dog now. Uh, well, I guess what's on my mind right now is the uh, the winter meetings. Yeah. Because, like we've said, with all of this activity, this flurry of activity going on, I can't imagine what the hell these guys are going to do. Yeah. Over the, the next what is it four days that they that they run this thing for? I can't. What are they going to do? Uh, well, I, well, we'll guess we'll wait and see. But that's bullpen, guess, bullpen, bullpen. I guess that's what we're all hoping. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, anything you'd like to add, Kurt? Well, first off, uh, I'm the one that my friend called the, the German U-boat captain, so <laughs> I'm not feeding any submarines to, to Hookslot. But my one thing, I want to congratulate my 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 fellow SB Nation. I had Chris Cotillo. Uh, Chris is a high school senior. Keep that in mind. Last week he broke the Ricky Nolasco news. Nobody believed it. Uh, then. All of a sudden, Nolasco changes his avatar. I think I think Ricky Nolasco learned he was going to become a twin from Chris Cotillo, frankly. <laughs> uh, and he's been doing this. That wasn't the first. He's been breaking smaller things all along. This, right. this kid, this kid has came aboard at, at our sister site from from SB Nation, MLB Daily Dish. It's a must read, must follow site, MLBDailyDish.com. Chris Chris joined that a few months ago. He has been making a name for himself ever since. I'm just proud to say I was I was in the first. You know, a couple of hundred followers. Because now the kid's up to like fifteen or sixteen thousand, and it's only going to go on from there. This is a high school senior. He's also the guy who broke the Doug Fister news, and when he said it, I knew it was true. Yep. Because Chris, unlike the rest, he doesn't throw anything at the at the wall and hope it sticks. If he says it, it's true one hundred percent of the time. I don't know how a high school senior has such good sources. I don't know how a high school senior. He's he's a natural, if there ever was a natural in this field, and on top of the reporting, the kid could write. I, I, you know, I was a good writer in high school. My teachers loved me. I, I understand. I was not nearly as good of a writer in high school as the stuff that I read Chris doing now. So, I mean, this, this kid is like a superstar in the making. I'm just fortunate that I can call him a colleague, and I hope I'm able to call him a colleague for a long time. Because yeah, this kid is going to really become something in the baseball world. So you uh, you got to follow him on Twitter. 
and it's Chris Cotillo, and maybe I will give a link. I will to definitely link to it in the show. You guys to read this work. This kid it's really amazing. It, you know, as it, somebody coming from the journalism field, as someone who who works, you know, for SB Nation, I just look at this and I, I just I just go, wow. Uh, you know, uh, I I think this is re- really really exciting that that, that this, this kid even exists, and twice as exciting that, that he exists as a member of SB Nation. So, it, you know, Chris is doing a hell of a job. It's very very cool to see it. Yeah, and just to put this in perspective, Kurt, uh, I I cracked up at his tweet after he broke the uh, Doug Fister deal and that he had to go do his math homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the, the next day he tweets that, you know, he, he tweeted some minor breaking news, and then he followed that up and said, I just got yelled at by my teacher for tweeting in class. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you know, when I was in high school, I, my biggest concern was how to beat Bald Bull in, you know, Mike Tyson's punch-out. Wouldn't you love to see the contacts list on this kid's phone? No, no kidding. Who in the hell is he talking to? How did he get that? Yeah, when I was his age, I was just looking to figure out where I could get the cheapest beer, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> and here he is out scooping Ken Rosenthal. So, <laughs> yeah. all right. Um, I'm going to add uh, just uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of direct it back into the Tours of Tigers. And I want to throw this out there because I'm already seeing people saying it's, it's, a, it's a done deal. Brad Osmus is going to. Handle the bullpen so much better than Jim Leland. Jim Leland always mishandled the bullpen. And I, people, I just need to put your uh, hold the jets on Osmus because right now we don't know what Brad Osmus is going to do when it comes to how he manages anybody on the ball team. Yes, right now I'm sure he's putting some input as to how this team is being built. But still, it's Dave Dombrowski's team. He's been making the calls. When it comes to the bullpen, who knows? Over the years, you know, we've all been fans for a long, long time. All managers pretty much work out of the same damn book. So we are already starting to see it with the Tigers. They have a ninth inning man in Joe Nathan. They have an eighth inning man in Bruce Rondon. I don't see how uh, Brad Ausmus is going to be doing much of anything different than Jim Leland did last year. So right now, yeah, I'm, uh, we're all excited for Brad Ausmus, but we can't start making him into something that he's not because we don't know what that is yet. So, please, before you start saying, yeah, he's going to do so much better than Jim Leland, we don't know that. So, please, hold off on the praise. Uh, he is what he is right now, uh, a work in progress. And right now, you, I have to give an incomplete on anything before I come to judgment. And keep this in mind as well. This is a team in flux. This is a team right now that has lost a shit ton of offense. This is a team that has a bullpen that we're not sure who's going to fit where. And they have to adjust to a new manager and coaching staff. There's no guarantees this team is going to be to win far more games than they did last year. I'd be willing to bet right now that they're, they're not you know, 90 games maybe where they tap out. So we'll have to wait and see. But hold the horses on anything uh, Osmus related. So that's the only thing I want to add. Tell you what, we, we've talked about this in the in the weeks past, and Kurt wrote that huge article, you know, after Leland stepped down, you know, about uh, this guy's a Hall of Fame candidate. Yes. Ultimately, let's not forget that Brad Osmus has some seriously big shoes to fill. Bingo. Exactly. And uh, to think that anybody's going to be better than Jim Leland? Yeah, right. That ain't happening. So let's just hope he's as good as Jim Leland. That's 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 all we can hope for. All right, let's wrap up the podcast. Uh, I guess Kurt, we should tell everybody that we're going to. Be podcasting live during the winter meetings. We won't be at the winter meetings, but we're going to be commenting on the winter meetings live, and this is going to be all your fault if it fails. This is my fault because, you know, <laughs> while we, 
and and Al knows the, the details of, but you know, at SB Nation, we 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 now have a, a partnership that allows us to podcast, not just you know in in recorded version, but also live. So you know, I said, hey, there, there's no reason we need to podcast live, you know, all the time. But when what's better than the winter meetings to do some live podcasts? It seems like a perfect time to to give it a try. So you know, we talked about it, and we're, we're going to try and do some live, short, you know. 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, whatever. It's just little updates each day about what, what the Tigers might be up to and, and t- 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 touch on any other uh, big news of the day. So uh, I think it'll be fun. We'll, we'll make sure you know what time and, and make sure you can tune in and you can see just how awful we sound when we're not edited by Al. Yes, and uh, we will also be able to take phone calls if we wish. We'll, we'll make sure we, everybody knows that. And obviously, we'll be watching Twitter as well, so we can always publish a hashtag, and uh, you can ask us your questions that way. And as I said earlier, well, uh, you know, if it's a train wreck, we don't have to continue. And Kurt says, if it's a train wreck, that makes it all the better. So <laughs> Every podcast is a train wreck. I, I think people know that by now. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. It's the magic of editing that makes it a little less uh, crashy. So. We will remind you, probably Sunday or Monday, as to what our plans are, how to get involved with this. Like I said, they're not going to be hour-long podcasts, you know, 15 minutes, half hour at most, depending on what's going on. And as, as we've been saying earlier, the Tigers have done so much over the past two weeks, we're not sure what they're going to be able to do with the winter meetings. But we'll be able to con- uh, comment on some of the other crazy things that Major League Baseball GMs are going to do. So just, just be on the lookout for that. It should be fun, should be interesting, and it could be ugly. So... All right. Uh, it will be ugly. Yeah, yeah. All right. Hookslide, where can they find you online? Uh, just look for me on Twitter. Hookslide, BYB, on Twitter. Speaking of ugly. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I'm the good. You're the bad. He's the ugly, all right? Oh, okay. I guess we can agree to that. Okay. <laughs> Hookslide, <laughs> no, BYB. Now I'm trying to think, okay, who's Eli Wallach, who's uh, Clint Eastwood, and who's uh, Lee Van Cleef? See, Dr. Kurt has to go Google that. No, no, I know who Lee Van Cleef is, and I'm saving that one right now. All right. Uh, I guess you're I guess you Eli Wallach there, Hookslide. I'm Burt Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't in the movie, but yeah, uh, uh, we'll take. All right, we're getting way off track here. Kurt, where can they find you? Uh, uh, BYB Kurt? Is that right? That I, is correct. Okay. That, that, that's what uh, my Twitter says. Oh, then then there and, and at Bless You Boys, like 95% of the time, though. No. Yes, and I am at Big LBYB on Twitter as well. All right, let's wrap up the show. So until Monday, uh, we're probably going to shoot uh, mid-afternoon about 3 o'clock, and we're going to do uh, hopefully four podcasts uh, Monday through Thursday live. Uh, we'll see you then. So until that time, this is Al Beaton saying good afternoon and good luck along the book slide. Happy Hanukkah, and we'll see you next week. And Kurt mentioned. Uh-oh, I didn't think of anything. It will give him plenty of time to think of something silly to say on the next live Bless You Boys podcast. Patrick Nugent! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would have also taken Freund Levin as well. I can't pronounce that. <laughs> That's good advice. Thanks, big fella. <laughs>